And the first thing I'd like to draw your attention to is this. Life on earth is marked by so many needs. Life on earth is marked by so many needs and these needs arise from strange and diverse sources. Life on earth is marked by needs and these needs arise or come from strange and diverse sources. Verse 1 and verse 2. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead say to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. The passage, or the, the, the first three verses, highlights the many sides of our needs. And from this, we, we pick that needs at times, for God's children, we will arise from our unusual service to God. And our unusual service to God. Elijah's need arose from his obedience to the will of God. The Lord, God of Israel, commanded him to go appear before this great king, King Ahab. And as he stood before this king and delivered the message to this king, then God tells him to depart and head eastwards into the Jordan. But you see that as Elijah went before this king, the Bible records for us that he told Ahab, that as, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, and then he delivers the message. And you see, Elijah brings to King Ahab that the God is representing, the God who had sent him on a mission, the God who commanded him to come before him, is the God of Israel, the God who lives. And he wanted Ahab to see that this God has a relationship, a special relationship to the chosen nation of Israel. Jehovah was their king, the ruler, the one with whom they had to deal with. And Elijah is saying, I have been called into a solemn covenant with this God. I've been called to his service and now I'm coming before you to deliver a message. The message is given to Ahab and for Ahab he must have been questioning the message. And that's why Elijah would say, he doesn't say, as the Lord, the God of Israel, he goes on to say, the God of Israel lives before the nation of Israel. 
king after king after king after king painted the picture that this God does not live. This God is not interested in, in them anymore. During the reigns of one king after another, Israel had openly mocked God, rebelled against God, disobeyed Jehovah. And it seems that there was no dreadful consequences of their actions. And so, there must have been this false idea that had come to prevail among the people of God or among the nation of Israel that there is no real existence of the Almighty God. And now Elijah comes before uh, King Ahab and he tells him that the God of Israel, whom I stand, he lives. And this points to a remarkable contrast with the lifeless idols whose helplessness must now be made clear that they, they are, the gods they served are not able to defend their deluded vows of dedication from the wrath of the Almighty God. Elijah was just doing his service. He was just being faithful to his God. And now God tells him, you've done your part, you've delivered the message, now depart. Go from here, eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And this message must have been puzzling to Elijah. It must have been confusing to Elijah. I've just delivered the message you wanted me. Now why do you want me to leave my place? Why do you want me to go away from this place? Why do you want me to go into the Jordan, into the desert? It was because of his service to God that his need arose. But also seen in, in the other verses, like from verse 9 to 12, the need arose also to this widow because of the uncontrollable situation. When you read verse 9 and 12, you see that this woman was suffering not because of wrongdoing on her part, but because of the deeds of the others. The kings before her, the current king, because of the sin of Ahab, Jezebel, and the nation of Israel, God had sent a drought to affect the land. She was just caught up in an unfortunate situation, not because of her, her own doings, but also when you read to, towards the end, the end in verse 17 to 18, again there was death. Untimely death, should we say. The Lord had done much to her. But her son died. And she was filled with sorrow and pain. 
And all this shows us that life on earth is marked with so many needs. And these needs arise from strange and diverse sources. And when those needs arise, the question lingers in our minds, can God sustain me in this situation? There are times when you seem to be doing everything correct in the right way. You are doing them the way you're supposed to do. And yet, needs arise. Job tells us in Job 14 verse 1, man born of a woman is of few days, but those few days are full of trouble. There will be times when you'll be caught up in situations, not because of your, your own doing, not because of your own fault, but due to the faults or sins of others. Sometimes you make your own trouble. Needs arise because of your sinful deeds. When time and again you are warned of the situation, friends warn you, your parents warn you, and you still insist on going that path, and then you find yourself caught in the situation that begins to bring needs into your life. But what we see is that these needs, pain, sorrow, trouble, are part and parcel of the human experience. It is a human package as long as we are on earth. And when you find yourself being overtaken by, by the situ your situation, your needs, your pain, and you're asking these questions, remember, this is life on earth, marked by needs. And these needs are from diverse sources, strange sources. And as you do so, and begin to wrestle with the question, know that there is a God of who lives. A God who has a covenant relationship with his people in Christ. Life on earth is marked with so many needs. And these needs arise from strange and diverse sources. But secondly, we see that for God's children... For God's people, the needs that surfaces in our lives manifest the abundant supply of our God. The needs that surface in our lives, they manifest abundant supply of our God. Verse 3 to verse 6. 
For let's start from verse 2. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. When those needs surface in our lives, our God is not caught off guard. He's not surprised by what is happening. In fact, he knows it. He knew it. He already has a plan in place before the foundation of the world. And let me even say that he organized those needs in your life. He planned the course of your life even before it happened. And since God orchestrated the event in your life, he also has planned for it. He has a scheme in place. He has a plan in place. He knows how he's going to deal with your situation because he's the mind behind it all. Your need is merely the evidence of God's abundant supply for you in waiting. Verse 3 and 4. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And already that gives us this, this idea of God's past preparations for his servant. Before Elijah needed water to drink, before he needed a drink of cool clear water. God was behind it all. The finger of God sketched out the path of the brook. Before Elijah was being sent to this brook, God's hand had already sketched out the path of these waters to the point where Elijah would be drinking from. He was behind all that. God knew that his servant will be brought to a point when he will need to drink from his, this brook. He had made provisions way before Elijah needed water to cool his thirst. The name of the brook or the streams is called Cherith, which means cutting. God made the way to cut Elijah's thirst. Where before Elijah ever got thirsty. But also, verse 6 highlights to us God's present supply. Verse 3 and 4 points to God's past preparations. 
But verse 6 shows us God's present supply. Verse 6, And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and the bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Elijah was being fed by ravens. God knew that his man needed to eat, and God supplied the necessities of life for his servant. God was faithful to his servant. He met Elijah's needs without fail. Every morning and every evening, the ravens would bring bread and meat for him to eat. He did not need to worry. God was faithful. Elijah needed to live by faith and to continue trusting God that God will supply, God will sustain him, God will take care of him. Elijah received enough to sustain him until the evening. Every morning. And in the evening, he received enough to sustain him until the morning. He did not need to begin worrying or to behave like the children of Israel when manna would come in the morning and they would, they would want to, to store and keep for themselves just in case God changes his mind tomorrow, at least with something to fall on. No, God provided what they needed at that particular time. It is the same here we see with Elijah that God provided what he needed in the morning to sustain him into the evening and in the evening to sustain him for the morning. And, and have you noticed that God's methods were miraculous but also at the same time ordinary? Miraculous in the sense that God used a raven to bring bread and meat. And if you know something about ravens, they eat meat. And he's using eat meaters to bring meat for his servants. But also, a raven is a common bird. It's so ordinary. In fact, I was, I was looking at the, the statistics, rather some information about them, is that the common raven, the black one, is found in all African countries. That's how common it is. Yet it shows us God's present supply for his servant. And when you read verse 14, you actually see God's promise for tomorrow. In verse 14 there we see the widow. For thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Elijah told the widow not to worry because the Lord God of Israel 
we will see that the needs for tomorrow are met. And all we are saying, or all I'm saying, is that the needs that arise in our lives, in your life as God's children, those are opportunities to manifest God's abundant supply for you. If all things work for good of those that love God, if all things are planned by God, surely this God has a plan and is working out all things for your good. He has already taken the necessary steps. He's working behind the scenes. And the Lord is moving. Even when you think he's not moving, he is the one who's working. He has a master plan. And everything is moving at the right time, in the right direction, for his glory and for your good. He will manifest his supply in his own way. And in his own time, your duty, your duty is to be patient and faithful to the Lord and wait upon him. He will take care of you. He will sustain you. Psalm 84 verse 11 says, Psalm 84 verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. He will not. But this is the lesson that God wants us to learn. God does not grant fresh revelations or fresh insights until there has been a submission with those already received. God is not just going to multiply his knowledge of himself upon you until there's a compliance with those already received, until you can reach a point when the truth of God, a living reality in your life, God will not continue to pour his revelation on you and yet you remain defiant and stubborn to what is already revealed to you. And nowhere is God's past provision made more clearly than in the area of your salvation. Before there was ever a sinner to save, God had already given up his son, Jesus Christ, as a means of your salvation. God met your salvation needs before you ever had need of it. Before you ever realized that you needed him. He had already given up his son for your salvation. And if God can meet this greatest need of your life to be reconciled to him, he will have no problems to take care of you because you are in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God will not continue to give you fresh insights until you can bring yourself to submit to those which you've already received. He saved you from your sins. And if you walk uprightly with him, he will sustain you. 
He will take care of you. He will reveal himself to you. But the truth you already know, the truth you already have, must be a living reality in you. And then God can continue to pour his knowledge of himself into your life, one step at a time. God will not show you all the, the obstacles on your path that you navigate, but he wants you to take him at his word one day at a time. And when the needs arise, there are opportunities for God to manifest his abundant supply for you. God will let you experience need to get you to be in line with his plan for your life. But don't expect God to bless your mess until you can be clear in your mind, clear in your heart that the number one devotion in your life is God. And as long as you, your life is messed up, chasing after every pleasures of this world, don't expect God to bless you. He wants you to have him as the supreme object of your life. And he says, those who walk uprightly with him, he will take care of them. He will sustain. He will provide. And in the third place, I want us to see the marvelous secret for realization that God can sustain you. The marvelous secret for the realization that God can sustain you. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Teshbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastwards and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. How do you get to know that God can sustain you? The secret, the marvelous secret, can be summed up in one word, faith. Faith, but this is faith in God. Faith in the person and the works of God as revealed by the scriptures or as revealed in the scriptures. This is not faith in your, in your job, 
Not faith in your, the credentials of your parents. Not faith in your credentials. Not faith in your investment. But faith in the God of the universe. And because of that faith, you take God at his word. Your marvelous secret as a child of God will show itself in your prayer life. When you read James chapter 5 and verse 17, we are told Elijah was a man with like nature with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain. And this was his marvelous secret. He had faith in God, and his prayer life revealed this secret. He, he trusted his God, and here lies his assurance and boldness before the king. Prayer in private was his source of strength in public. He was able to stand in the midst of his needs because he had learned to kneel in humility before the God of the heavens. He had devoted himself to the God of Israel. And this was his secret. But also see that your marvelous secret is your, your, your personal knowledge of God. Your personal knowledge of God. Elijah's knowledge of God was a living reality to him. And that's why I was able to say to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives. Jehovah was to him a living reality. He was real in his life. And even in the midst of a nation that was rebelling against God, living in apostasy, he was not swayed by public opinion and practice. The, the infidelity of others did not shake his faith and was able to come before the king that my God lives. But also you see that that marvelous secret is your personal consciousness of God. Your personal consciousness of God. Listen to what he says. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand. This was his secret. His personal consciousness of God. He was not only assured of the reality of Jehovah's existence, but that he was conscious of being in the presence of God. Though appearing before King Ahab, Elijah was in the presence of one infinitely greater than any monarch on earth. He was conscious as appearing before God, the God of the universe. Yes, he was able to see the king, but his eyes would go through the king and see one who's seated on the throne and is able to say, before whom I stand. 
And brethren, if this is true of us, we will pray. Our personal knowledge of God, our personal consciousness of God will drive us to our faith in this God. And our faith in this God will be anchored in the will of God. It will be anchored in the will of God. And this is what you see when you read verse 2 and 3. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastwards, and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. His faith was anchored in the will of God. He had just confronted the king. And now God is sending him away into the wilderness. He must have been confused, but he trusted the will of God and he followed and obeyed. And also see here that our faith is not just anchored in the will of God. Our faith is also anchored in the ways of God. Again, when you read in verse 9, when Elijah is told to go to this widow, and he's told that this widow will be the means by which God will preserve you. It must have been confusing to him, but nonetheless, he trusted the ways of the Lord. Imagine how he felt when the brook dried up and the ravens stopped bringing meat and bread. And now God comes and says, Go to the widow. And widows were, were very poor. When you read the history of the nation of Israel, they were never known to even keep any domestic animals because they could not afford. And now God is telling Elijah. He's not telling him, go look for a job. Go to that rich uncle of yours. Go to that poor widow and now use that widow to sustain your life. And our faith is anchored in the ways of God. As if that's not enough, our faith is also anchored in the works of God. And you see something of this when you read verse 13 to 16. Elijah goes before this widow and put yourself in the shoes of the widow. She's at the point of starvation. She only has enough to eat with her son. One final meal. And then plan to starve to death. And then here comes the prophet. Or let's use the terms of familiar. Here comes a preacher. And he says, Give me to eat. And only one meal for me and my son. And he tells her to feed him first. And it must have been a real trial of faith for this woman. And when you notice verse 13, she's told to go and do. Then verse 15 tells us she went and did. Anchored in the works of God. 
and also see that our faith is anchored in the words of God. In the words of God. This widow entered the valley of testing, but she receives the greatest promises of assurance. When you read verse 14, she's assured that her jar will not run out of oil. Her jug will not run out. And the jar of flour will not be empty. And she trusted God at his words. And Elijah says, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. When you have God... And your faith is anchored in the will of God, the works of God, the ways of God, and the words of God. You cannot be shaken. When God is a living reality in your life at a personal level, and you are daily conscious of his presence, the faithless of others will not shake you because you have apprehended God for yourselves. You've accepted God for yourself. You've come to believe in God by faith in Christ Jesus. And God is as real to you as anything around you. And while everyone else is living in rebellion, mocking this God, when when you stand before this God, when you come, each day that comes, you are conscious of this God. He's as real as anything you ever know. And you come before him, conscious of that reality. And whatever comes before you, the needs that arise, you are not shaken. You know he will sustain you. He will sustain you to the very end. And it is this that shows the world that we have a God. When we are all beset by the needs that arise as we journey here on earth, while one is looking to himself, looking to which doctors and all kind of magicians available, You come before this God. Say, as long the God I serve, He lives. And I stand before Him that while I may not know what tomorrow holds, He will sustain me. Whatever it is, is allowed in my life. He has a plan and he wants me to be more like his son. And that's for my good and for his glory. He will sustain me. And I want the world to know that this is my God. My faith is not in the fact that I have a job and I can therefore be sustained tomorrow. Or oh, I have 
I have credentials or qualifications or I have connections. No. Inasmuch as I have those, my faith is in the God of the heavens. And it is this God who sent his son to die for my sins. And while I was a sinner, he, he looked for me. In the dungeons of sins, he stooped low and got me out of the dungeon, drenched in sin, dripping with all kinds of filthiness. He washed me by the blood of his son, and now he's made me an heir of heaven, given me a place in his kingdom. And if he's done all that, what is it that life will throw at me and will shake me? What is it that is, is, is can't do for me? When he reached me, when I was smelling with sin, and he washed me and clothed me, and now he's given me a name that is above all name, and he's given me his Holy Spirit as a seal of my salvation. And as I live every day in this life, I'm conscious of that reality. I'm conscious of that experience. And I want the world to know I serve a living God. And the faithless of others, their practice and opinion will not shake me. I know this God. And this is the marvelous secret to the realization that God can sustain me. It's not vain thinking, dear friends. It is true. And if you are seated here this morning and you know nothing of the saving knowledge of Christ, Jesus is the greater Elijah. He had no pedigree, credentials, we are told there was no form, outward form to attract men to himself. He trusted his father, even to the point of death on the cross. And while he hung on the cross, cross he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And all that was to show you that even before you realized your need of the Savior. God had a plan to meet your salvation, your, your sins problem. And Christ is here this morning. He's being offered to you. That if you come to him in faith and in repentance, he can save you from your sins. He really can save you from your sins. Is a greater Elijah, the savior of the world. And it is this salvation that makes God's people to sing in the face of their needs, their trials, their pains, with certainty, with assurance, with joy. 
but this I know. I just don't know, but I'm also persuaded that he, my God, is able to keep that which I have committed to him for each day of my life. And this can be true of you, seated there this morning, wallowing in sin. Has God's people seen that hymn in closing? Ask yourself, do I know this God? Is he a living reality? Do I have this personal consciousness of him? And if I don't, God, please deal with me in Christ. Save me from my sin that I too can sing with your people. But I know and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I don't know what it is that I'll face an hour from now, but I know and I'm persuaded my God will sustain me. Amen.